0: Welcome to The City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about The City, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. So good to be with all of you for this online gathering once again. uh, I hope you really had a good time of worship I'm looking forward to jumping into the word with you. I just want to share that on Monday, so Matt and I, we brought the kids to this place called the Jurassic Mile. Maybe some of you brought your kids there already, also. Uh, and it was just a really fun little excursion. Um, I, I mean, I had no idea the amount or the level of joy that our kids were going to exhibit when we went there. So we drove, uh, we parked somewhere, and we walked the whole stretch. Um, and they've been really into dinosaurs, so it was a fun little uh, outing for them to look forward to, but little did we expect what was going to happen. So the moment we arrived and we started walking, the kids just started running from you know dinosaur to dinosaur, in between just yelling, screaming at the top of their lungs, talking about the dinosaurs. Uh, it was just really fun, and, and for that, brief, like, two hours-ish that we spent uh, there in that place with the kids, Um, I mean, I was just reminded of how, like, little simple, like, outings like that just really brought so much joy, uh, and and them just discovering little things and and bonding over such a simple little outing, Uh, and and so I'm just sharing that just to say that, you know, it was a good moment for me sometimes, uh, you um, you know, with adult maybe like responsibilities or things in my head. I uh, just having moments like that with the kids was really like a really cool time uh, of bonding with the family and just uh, running along with the kids. I ended up running with them and talking about the dinosaurs and taking photos. Just really fun reminder of the little simple joys of life and this morning i feel led to share on something called restoring simplicity and uh, i hope that uh, you know it's going to be a word that speaks to every one of us and really hope that you're ready so let's jump in uh, with a word of prayer father god God Almighty, we're just here to listen to you. We're here to uh, uh, bend and posture our hearts towards you and what you have to say to us as your people. And God, this morning, uh, we're not just here to, uh, uh, we're really not here to be ministered to only, we're here to minister to you. And so Lord, even as we listen uh, um, to your word right now, we pray that you know our hearts be uh, continually in worship, Uh, and with an attitude of just, you know, bending towards you uh, and and listening and leaning in to what you have to say and work in our hearts. Uh, And we pray for each other. We pray that wherever we're seated or standing right now with your word as we listen as a family or as a groups and homes or just on our own in our spaces, we pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you reach deep down and just really deposit something uh, of your spirit into us today as we listen. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. So. Uh, we're talking about restoring simplicity because, uh, you know, as I thought about it and, and prepared for this, it just really felt like, wow, there's so much to unpack. And so uh, we're not going to be like exhaustive. There's a lot of ground that I will not cover. But the bit that I will, I really hope that, you know, it's going to uh, speak to us. It's going to uh, cause a response towards God that is of faith and obedience right from our hearts, all right? So we're going to turn to Matthew 6 right now, and I want to draw your attention to verse 25 to 34 first for now. Uh, We'll look at another segment uh, before this later on, but for now we're looking at Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Uh, And these these verses here, this passage right here, uh, is one that is not unfamiliar. Many of you would be familiar with this, especially verse 33. Maybe it's even, you know, the favorite verse of some of you. So we're going to read from 25 read with me uh, whatever version you have until 34. Let's go. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And you really see uh, this passage uh, where, you know, Jesus emphasizing do not be anxious, but basically uh, using the example of like the birds of the air and the grass of the field to be without care, right? To be carefree uh, like them. The question though, as you're reading this, and I don't know whether all of you are asking that, but I'm sure some of you can relate is, you know, as I read this, is it even possible? Is it even possible to not be anxious about these things? Uh, even, you know, for for the most part, we are considered amongst the uh, majority or the minority that is uh, uh, able to have these basic needs met. Even then, there are tons of uh, reasons or day-to-day needs. Um, Or ones that we worry about or we are anxious about so is it possible and we think about the need to do financial planning right or you know uh, because it's really to secure a good education um, whether it is for ourselves or for our next generation or a sibling or secure a home right? at least somewhere you can call home your own space or we think about the need to kind of um, in the event of crisis right or Or illness, or a natural disaster, or uh, all sorts. um, Being laid off, right? All these uh, uh, risks that could happen. Uh, We think about, you know, the need or just being responsible to save, to invest, uh, to manage our uh, uh, finances well, right? Or to plan for retirement, which is something that uh, some of us would be looking into already. But so, is it possible to not uh, um, be anxious about these things. Is it, like what what is this passage even saying? But I want to draw your attention real quick to look at verse 32 to 33 is that yes your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And you know, that's a very anchoring kind of phrase there. Yeah, the, the Gentiles seek after all these things. But your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. Will be added to you so there is that those words seek first right to seek first so like the key to this passage really is is the centrality of God you know you can uh, look at it that way this it is the centrality of God that uh in our lives that that is what this passage is about. And uh, you recall last week we talked about what does the Lord require of you, Deuteronomy 10, and in verse 12 it says, you know, to fear him, to, uh, to walk in all his ways, to love him, uh, serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Uh, it's really about being you know, singularly preoccupied with God versus being self-centered, right? Uh, and that's that's what we looked at last week. In this passage 25 to 34, if you didn't notice, i point out to you is that the word anxious is actually used five times in just these few verses. Uh, and then in Greek it's merimnao, so like to be anxious, to care or to strive for, you know, to worry about. Uh, 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 five times the word anxious is used. Uh, it's the same word uh, or root word that you will find in like 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, you know, cause your cares because he cares for you. For example, right? Or Luke 21. Let's turn to Luke 21, verse 34. uh, Luke 21, verse 34, where it says, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. The word cares there. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. And so really, if you look at this passage, the key is the centrality of God, which the difference is not just, you know, Jesus is not just saying, don't worry. He's not just saying that. He's also saying, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you because the Father knows you need them. So not just don't worry or don't be anxious, but to be preoccupied, to be primarily concerned with the kingdom of God. So what ought to be central in our hearts, what ought to be central uh, in our hearts and in our lives is not these things, but the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Think of the Beatitudes in, in the chapter before this, Matthew 5, right? A blessed are the poor uh, in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or A blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? Uh, or even the prayer in Matthew 6, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done right? So there is that centrality of God in our hearts. With God in his central place, everything else, and hear me on this, with God in the central place in our hearts, everything else will ally totally with the purposes of God in this world, in our homes, in our lives, in our church, in our nation. When God is in his central place, right? Starting with from within our hearts, right. Everything else will ally with the purposes of God. And this was what struck me as I thought and meditate through even on this passage. When God is at the center, what happens? I will ally my entire life to His purpose. It it, it is a reorientation, total reorientation. It's not just changing here and there, little bits of renovation in my life. It's not... It's a total reorientation of everything because now it is totally reframed with God in the center. No longer me and my concerns, but these are subject to his, Him and His concerns, God's concerns. And how would, would I ally my whole life to the purposes of God? Uh, I asked myself this question as I thought through, and, and, I, and, and it came to me, is that to, to make Christ... And his church and his cause my primary attachment above everything else, right? That that becomes my primary attachment to which everything allies its purpose, to God's purposes. Martin Luther talked about um, this thing called three conversions, uh, and he says that there are three conversions uh, of the gospel is that it converts the heart, it converts the mind, and it converts the third thing, the pocketbook or the purse right the heart the mind and the purse and and i think that's really true the gospel converts our heart our mind and also our purse the way we go about our finances because as much as we think oh like um, why finances jesus talked about economic issues and money much more than many other topics in his teachings And so to say that the gospel is to convert our heart, our mind, and our purse is not too far from what Jesus understood as what was preoccupying or what was the orientation of people's lives, uh, even in his time. What more now? I'll venture further to say that the gospel converts our heart, our mind, our purse to something, and that is God's purposes. And what does that include? It includes Christ. It includes the church and includes the mission of God. Look at Matthew 6 with me, Matthew 6 verse 19 to 24, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, heart, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness!" No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus on money, many times, multiple times. I'm just going to plug out four examples uh, uh, of uh, in the New Testament where we are taught on money, in James four, where we're taught not to covet right uh, not to you know covet after the things that others covet or Hebrews 13, 5, says to live your life free from the love of money. Not, uh, not that we don't need money, but to live free from the love of money, uh, so much so that we become bondage to uh, uh, money and income and wealth, and to be living free of that. Mark ten twenty one. when the rich young ruler came to look for Jesus, and Jesus says to him, great, you know, all these commands you have followed since you were young, But just do this one thing, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the rich young ruler was brokenhearted because he just could not bring himself to part with his possessions. Luke 12, verse 16 to 21 is another part where Jesus teaches about money again. See, in this passage where we just read uh, uh, Matthew 6, verse 19 to 20, you see this really clear contrast with words repeated. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then it says, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in, but in heaven, moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So it's very clear language of contrast between earth and heaven there, verse uh, 19. And it tells you this contrast between, you know, when we lay up treasures for ourselves on earth, it is a self it is about ourselves, our concerns, and our worries, right? It is about, like, self-centeredness that we were challenged to to ponder on last Sunday. Uh, to lay up treasures on earth is, is, is like the kingdom of self, whereas to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven is to seek the kingdom of God, to seek heaven and the things that matter to God, the kingdom of God. Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it is really, as we often hear, the issue of the heart, where right? Jesus is not here saying, don't have any wealth, don't have any income. No, he's not saying that. Neither is he saying, you know, necessarily, even though he was speaking to the rich young ruler he was speaking to uh, the, the the where his heart was at where the rich young ruler's heart is at and where your treasure is there your heart will be also it is the issue of the heart and we go down further verse 22 and 23 it talks about the eye the eye is a lamp of the body so if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light right but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness, and, and you get this, like, you know, there's like um, the evil eye, which really, if you dig deeper, the meaning of the word is to uh, uh, lead to an understanding of the definition of like being covetous, being greedy, uh, being, uh, you know, filled with envy, right, is to have an evil eye. To have an evil eye is to be filled with envy. Uh, I think, you know, if you when you're really envious of someone, like you know, the, the look that you give your eye, you know, think of that uh, if it helps you remember, it's that evil eye is to be associated with greed and covetousness and envy. right? And so uh, it goes on to say, Jesus says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And that's why in 24, you cannot serve two masters. Even though sometimes I think we, we try to, we live as though we think we can. Uh, you either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. There is no middle ground. You cannot serve God and money. Just like it's not just, you know, when your eye is bad, it's not just one part of you, but it affects your entire being, your whole being. And so that's why you cannot serve God and money at the same time. Recall last week or two weeks ago, we talked about First Peter chapter four, verse uh, verses seven to eleven, where we talk about being faithful exiles, right? That we are a people who are an exiled people living in the world today, which means we have um, allegiance and loyalty and priorities that are different, you know, that are not of this world. And so, what does that look like? Uh, What does that look like to be peculiar in our allegiance is to handle uh, things differently, to view even our finances and how we live our lifestyles, our choices, uh, and the things that we have and the way we steward our resources differently as people who are not just living, not living for this world, but those who seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'm going to talk about John Wesley, who is the famous Methodist founder. And John Wesley is one who advocated living simply. And he advocated you know, to give what you just use, what you need, but give the rest away. Give it all away. And he used to, um, there's a story that's told that he, at one point of his life, he wanted to model right, what this living simply uh, ought to look like for a disciple. And so he was earning about 30 pounds at the time. And he, you know, with his expenses and uh, you know his ministry, even he would spend about twenty eight pounds, and he would give the the, the two pounds away uh, to whoever in need and and, such and whatnot. But uh, later on, in a time when he started writing and and I guess there was money coming in from his books, right? He then at one point was earning about a thousand and four hundred pounds. He still continued to use twenty eight pounds, and he would give the rest away. All right? That's really remarkable when I read about that because I mean that's just something that's challenging and I'm not saying that you know we're like start comparing like dollars and cents and oh how much I should give I should do the same as well see that's not the point but I think the point again is the issue of the heart right is where you know whether God is at the center and how I am kind of you know, causing my primary attachment to, to God and the things that matter to him, uh, impact the way that I would steward all that I'm given, right, in my life. And how that looks like varies from person to person. The point is not about like embracing poverty. I'm not even saying that the point is not like, you know, where I really sell everything you have and, you know, go live in some grotto or a little cave. And I'm not talking about that, Uh, although for some, perhaps this message speaks to them in that way. But I'm talking about truly being submitted and stewarding for which master? Is it God as our master? Is he the king? How are we submitted to him and, and coming under willingly? voluntarily coming under His rule and His reign of His kingdom and stewarding His resources such that we, we know very clearly and we know, we view, everything that we have comes about by His hand and that it will be taken care of by His own very hand as well. Right? He is the one who has given and He is the one who enables us to steward it for His glory, right? And even whether we are rich or poor or whatever it is, uh, uh, this issue of being submitted and stewarding well is still a question. It's not just about how much, how many digits is in your bank account. It's the posture, and it's an issue of heart, right? And in a culture where we, it's rampant with excess, rampant with self-indulgent habits, rampant with materialism and just, you know, instant gratification, all this in our cultural climate today. What does it look like to practice simplicity? And I want to go deeper even to say not just practice simplicity uh, for simplicity's sake. Um, you know, like, you know, being minimalist for minimalist's sake. It's not just that. It's practicing simplicity uh, that restores. So that's why restoring simplicity is a simplicity that restores again and aligns us with things of the kingdom of God. Simplicity as restoration. When we lack a divine center, our need for security leads to insane attachment to things or even people. But when God is at the center, I will ally my entire life to his purpose to make Christ and church and his cause my primary attachment. So simple living is something that we're I hope that you and I would reflect deeper and really take seriously even as we hear this today. Maybe it's not your first time. You've heard this before. That's great. And I hope that even then some of these will strike a chord in your heart. Or you've you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, oh, I've never quite seen it that way. Then I hope that you would really like pen this down, think on it, pray into it even this coming weeks. Simple living is... An inward reality, because it's a posture of the heart, at the same time, is an inward reality that necessarily, it just has to inevitably result in outward expression. It can be expressed through our lifestyle, our choices. The, The things we do, the things we buy, the things we look at, and and all that, the things we are attached to. You know, simplicity is freedom. Richard Foster says this, duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. So when we choose simple living, while it is an inward reality, it will necessarily result In some profound effect in how we live, right? So here are some ways I want to suggest you pay attention to, you and I pay attention to together uh, as individuals or as families and as a family, as one family, as a church together, right? Four ways of practicing simplicity that restores, right? Simplicity that restores in us and in others and in the world things of the kingdom of God. First one is to audit your possessions, right? Uh, What does that mean? So recently, um, the last two weeks, I have been in this uh, very gung-ho state of like reorganizing the house. Uh, I spent like, you know, hours and hours kind of poring over all the stuff that's been cluttered in the kids' room, in their cabinets, their drawers everywhere. So much stuff and we've not even stayed there for two years, only coming to two years. So much stuff cluttered in their room alone. It took me so much time and after that I moved on to like the living room and then the master bedroom and the kitchen a little bit. I'm still working at it. It's been two weeks uh, working hard to kind of organize, reorganize some things, throw out a lot of stuff and in the process of it, it was funny. Uh, so our kids, uh, you know, have had stuff sitting in the cupboard for since we moved in. Not kidding, because uh, it was left by the owner of the previous home uh, uh, for our kids, and uh, they knew. Like I think when we moved in, we kind of saw these toys and books in there, but you know, because it got drowned out by other stuff that we bought or other stuff that we got that were new. And so when I was doing that, decluttering their room, it was almost like, wow, we came across a bunch of new toys, but it's not, it's it's always been there. And it's funny because I think that's exactly what, what happens, right? Sometimes we don't even know what we already have because we've got so much stuff. So I am just advocating audit your possessions from time to time. I know some of you are way better at this than I am, but you know, for those of you who have hardly spring cleaned your home, it's time, okay. So audit your possessions uh, as as often as you like, at least once a year, okay, if not twice. And you would find, you know, things that maybe you really forgot you had. And it's a great time to kind of repurpose or reuse or um, figure out and classify some things you can share with other friends. Um, maybe it's books or whatever uh, which we did we like you know some that we've outgrown or we don't use anymore or we've got extra so we uh, we bagged them and passed them to different people uh, and it's great because you get to share we get to give give away and bless somebody else uh, so some things you discard some things you realize you've been hoarding so don't do it anymore throw them out uh, and then some you share or you give away right uh, this is great, yeah, I think it's a great thing to do. So audit your possessions. Um, second is to arrest spending impulses. And I use the word arrest because I think it's just a stronger word to say, you know, the moment you have some buying impulse, don't just, oh, like, uh, are you sure or not? But like arrest it, like stop it in its tracks and ask yourself a few questions. Is this something I really need? Is there an alternative? If I don't get this, is, is is there another way or maybe like a cheaper option or something that is cheaper but just as good, okay? Because sometimes cheaper is not. But so you think about alternatives or think about, oh, maybe I could find this or source this from somewhere else, right? Um, ask yourself these questions or maybe the question is, uh, do I need it now, right? Uh, can it wait or... Um, Is it something that uh, maybe I need to finish using first before I get a new one, you know, multiple things. So arrest your spending impulse, ask yourself these questions. Recently, again, I'll share some personal example here. Because there was like, you know, some sale on Shopee and because I've been reorganizing the home, I wanted to look for, you know, certain uh, home organizing um, help, okay? So like, I wanted to look for drawer or like a storage rack or storage kind of solutions, right? So Shopee was my go-to. So I went there and there was like sale, promotion, uh, low price for different things. And while well, I was in a roll. I was like uh, putting stuff into the cart, add to cart, add to cart, and my cart is like I've got 40 stuff and 40 items in there. And and I really like got really into it. And then once I looked into, oh, I need this. And then I thought, oh, I'm, I think I need this too. Oh, what about this one? Oh yeah, I've always wanted this one. And then, and it just got longer and longer and never ending. Uh, uh, but I then I kind of caught myself and I stopped and I really like evaluated, uh, been, got more careful, eliminated some things, thought through took my time, I was not rushing into getting them, and it really helped a lot uh, so that I didn't buy unnecessarily. And so just to say again, some of you may be better at this than I am, but uh, whatever, okay, wherever we are at uh, in our, the way we spend, the way we budget our money, just be careful that some things we tend to kind of buy on impulse or we give into advertising or whatever it is, okay? So do that, okay? Audit your possessions, arrest your spending impulses. The third one is allocating time and talent. Uh, Because I think uh, when we talked about simplicity so much that I've kind of uh, talked about finances quite a bit, I wanted to highlight time and talent instead. Because I think sometimes uh, uh, it seems easier to give our money to someone in need but it may be harder to give our time and our talent. So I thought to specify how you and I can allocate time and talent for others, right? And this could look uh, multiple ways. I know most of us uh, would be already in a regular rhythm of giving our offering, right, Um, uh, for uh, work of God through the church. And that's one way we allocate uh, uh, finances, but there is time and talent. So look into your schedule. What, uh, How is your schedule a reflection of you stewarding time and talent for the sake of God and others, right? And that's something that takes intentionality. Uh, again, for those of us who are not, you know, maybe this is new, it's a really good practice to be mindful of how things can fill up in your time, uh, if we're not careful, uh, we end up going week, week after week not having uh, intentionally uh, stewarding our time and talent for specific persons that God brings to our mind. So it takes that intentionality and it would be good to kind of sit uh, once a week, sit down and kind of plan it out, look at your schedule, look at how you can Uh, make use of your talents and your strengths for the sake of uh, enriching someone or bringing joy to someone, speaking life to them, encouraging someone, giving affirmation, all these things, right? Uh, Even if it's just a phone call or a note or a visit to their home, right? Invite yourself over. Uh, Some of us as families, you can look into how you can have like a um, a mission activity together, right? And I think that's something that uh, uh, is really great for for, you know, the parents and the kids to do together. How can we together maybe bless our neighbor, let's do something, let's make something. Uh, and, and I know for one that many of you guys, your families, you're already doing this and that's great. So how can we allocate our time and talent for the sake of others? And again I want to highlight that we're not just practicing simplicity for its own sake but we are practicing a simplicity that restores and so we're also saying that restores in others you know you know that they're made in God's image how do we restore dignity and honor to someone even as we serve them even as we seek to repurpose the use of certain things in our home how is that restoring uh, even creation. How is that restoring all the you know the resources of Earth? How are we we, we um, practicing simplicity that restores uh, joy and peace uh, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods? How do we participate so that God's shalom be you know seen and felt right there in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our homes, and as we gather as life groups? How can we do that, right? Uh, I want to encourage you guys to to be more intentional in thinking those through. Fourth is to be attentive to listen. Now one aspect we don 't naturally think about when we talk about simplicity is in our speech, in the use of our words uh, that out of the overflow of our hearts, right? what we're often thinking about and whatnot comes our words, but actually. Uh, To be attentive to listen is part of practicing simplicity. Uh, And and it really shows when our mind is cluttered or when we're able to slow down and listen, whether it is to listen to our our own inner thoughts or it's to listen to God when He's speaking, when we're not paying attention, it tends to lead to very cluttered minds uh, and cluttered lives or, you know, being attentive to listen to someone speaking um, to us or someone we're relating to or being attentive to listen to our environment when you're going somewhere. How are we being simple even in just appreciating what we see around us, like, you know, nature and all those things? This is part of being attentive. Being attentive to listen, not just audibly, not just in the physical sense, but from our hearts to listen, to be present, to be attentive, tending to the things that surround us, or that are happening within our own hearts. This is part of practicing simplicity, and this is something that, you know, would lead back to uh, kind of like practicing silence and solitude is part of, because it helps to focus and bring us back again to what is central, what is priority, and what ought to be our uh, uh, primary preoccupation, right, in our minds. And all these is a kind of restoring simplicity that restores the presence and the, us being able to walk, a uh, vitality uh, of, of walking with God in our lives. Simplicity, practicing it in this way, would restore that. A- Adele Elbert Calhoun, uh, who uh, is an author and uh, one who writes on spiritual formation, Uh, very wonderfully, wrote this, Simplicity aims at loosening inordinate attachments to owning and having. Simplicity brings freedom, and with it, generosity. And uh, I've I've mentioned that these four ways we can practice simplicity is to be done as individuals as well as, as church, right? And in there is, what is the aim? To experience the true freedom that God intends that brings life, and with it, we are able to be generous because we are living out of this very clear and and centered focus on what is priority in our lives, what we are most attached to, and that is to see that God's kingdom come and His will be done. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And, and maybe you're listening to this, and you're like, "Well, I don't really feel like uh i'm my life is not that complicated. I feel like I' simple living enough, I don't spend excessively, I don't you know uh, eat like thousand dollar meals et etc wh- whatever but uh as I'm sharing this and I thought okay how how would this be one that uh is a something that all of us need to?" be serious and get into and pray and respond about. As I've gotten highlighted to my attention that maybe some of you don't feel you need simplicity. Maybe, right? But I'll flip it to the other side is, do you, do you think you need clarity, better clarity in terms of um, your purpose in life, your sense of identity, perspective, In the things that you have to decide your decision making do you need more wisdom do you need kind of like a clear focus when you go about uh what you're doing right in your vocation or in your work in your homes Uh, do you need a better sense of restedness even day to day and a great sense of peace and direction if yes i would say then this is why we practice simplicity Practicing it restores in us a restedness. It restores in us the wisdom of God that is of heaven and not of this world. Right? It restores in us clarity in our priorities uh, that we tend to digress from. It restores in us God's perspectives in our relationships, the way we go about relating with others, with ourselves, with God. You know, with with the world, and it restores our identity and our purpose in Christ, where perhaps if we are lost along the way or we grapple with trusting God or we are wrestling with decisions uh, 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 that are right and true or we just feel really challenged day to day to be resilient and determined to live for the purposes of God, then practice simplicity such that it restores so that God is at the center and that all of your whole life becomes allied so that Christ and his church and his cause is our utmost attachment in our lives. So I want to invite you, even now, wherever you are, to respond to him in your own words and say a prayer from your heart. Even as I lead uh, towards the end, just take a moment right now. Uh, you know, if you prefer to stand, or just lift your hands in response, uh, or whatever posture that you feel led to respond to God right now, to what you've been hearing, you can just extend your hand and respond with your own words for a few seconds, and then I'll pray. Just tell him and talk to him what's pressing on your heart right now, even as you've heard this. Mm. Yeah, we thank you so much. God, you're our Father who knows our needs, even before sometimes we realize. You know our needs so much better and deeper than anyone can, even ourselves. And God, this morning we stand in trust in your goodness as our Father, and that you are good, and you know our needs, and you know that we need them. But Lord, this morning, you're challenging us as your people to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, to seek you and the center of our lives so that God, all other attachments become submitted to our attachment, to your purposes, to see God, your purposes uh, be fulfilled in our lives, in our generation, in our world. And God, this morning, as committed as you are, we stand and we or we, say, we say, yes, God, uh, I want to respond to your call. I want to say yes to living and practicing simplicity such that it restores your centrality in my life. And God, this morning, I want to say yes to you. We want to say yes as your people As a community of faith and city, we say yes, God, to be a church that practices simplicity not just for its own sake, but for your kingdom's sake and for the sake of many who are yet to know you. That God, that we practice simplicity because it is who we are and it is what you're calling us to do so that there is a restoration and it brings about redemption for the world. And God, the fulfillment of all and the end that you have in mind. And God, we pray that our practicing simplicity would point people to you and would draw hearts to be right reconciled and we cause healing and shalom and peace and a clarity of purpose and a sense of identity in being called people of yours in our lives and through our lives today for people that are in our vicinity in our neighborhoods in our communities in our workplaces in our homes in our schools god we pray that god truly your restoration and redemption come through when we would choose to be a people that practices simplicity because you are the center of our lives you are the center in our hearts and so this morning we say yes to your call to your challenge and we want to be a people that are part of your restoration work in our world. We give you thanks and praise for your word that assures us that you are our Father and that you provide and that you know what we need and that you're always, always good. So we give praise to you and we give thanks and we're grateful for who you are and who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.